This message is brought to you by Heartland Family Fellowships. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your speaker today. We thank you for listening in on our podcast and hope that the Lord does bless you as you listen today. The title of our message today is The Making of a Patriarch. I have a uh, a tender spot for heroes, and uh, this week I went into the Hebrew to find out if the word existed in Hebrew. Not only did I find out that the word Hebrew existed, uh, the word hero existed in the Hebrew, but it existed in in the ancient Hebrew, and it means something a little bit different than what we Americans are used to viewing as a hero. But sending a father off to war and having him return from war alive or return from war with a few accomplishments which will give him undoubtedly some some medals is what we're used to being the definition of hero. And I'm afraid that's simply not the case at all. There is actually no reference in the Hebrew or the Greek that a hero even comes close to that definition. But what I did find was something extremely, uh, for me anyway, touching, almost mind-bending, when I found God's view of what a hero is. So, as we explore the making of a patriarch, which we're going to be doing until we start our Experiencing God series, um, I have made the decision that we will do the Bible study Experiencing God probably next year or late fall. And I'm going to preach a series on the entire Experiencing God workbook. means you do not have to purchase the material. I will be giving you handouts of stuff to work on between Sundays if you want to. These homework assignments we're going to post online because we now have two fellowships, so to speak, going on in other parts of the world. And so... um, I think that is the best way to get these truths out is to make them as simple as possible and easy to get to without having to purchase things or to uh, call them an official Bible study. So it's going to be heavy-duty content, but we're going to try to make it as simple as word pictures for people to understand. I am going to be taking a combination of the Experiencing God message by Blackaby. He actually preached the series before he wrote the book. So I am going to do exactly the same thing as I'm going to be taking his preaching material, putting it into sermons, but I'm going to be combining the identity truths of who you are in Christ with them. first several times I went through Blackaby's material, that always kind of bothered me that he didn't include those. But that wasn't the emphasis that God had for him on the study. But we're going to be including the identity truths of who you are in Christ. So it should be a very well-rounded study for people online or people who are going to sit in this little room. But we are excited about this process. Um, During announcement time, I'll be explaining the posters and the brochures that uh, some of you have been eagerly waiting for and how those are going to work. But for right now, I want us to take a look first at the Hebrew definition of patriarch. Last week, we looked at the Hebrew definition of father, which is a part of being a patriarch. You cannot be a patriarch without being a father. And you can't be a hero unless you have a patriarch. So this this is a very interesting little bent to the whole concept of being a hero. 
I honor our servicemen, and I believe what the young man uh, had to share with his wife and how he had to prepare his son to whatever degree he could in a childlike fashion uh, is a part of being a hero. But it is certainly not the definition. The man was not a hero because he was going off to war and leaving his family. He was a hero, and the reason why I grabbed this clip is because he actually demonstrates the Hebrew word picture for hero in that little film clip. And I'll show you that in just a moment. But first of all, we have patriarch, and I'm not going to make use of my Hebrew helpers today because it's so long. Okay? Well, I'm glad that the the Hebrew word for patriarch is long because it covers a lot of territory. But I'm also just using modern Hebrew and not uh, giving you all of the pictorial, ancient pictorial pictures because they're actually twice as long as the modern. The word patriarch is very long. It is a very powerful statement. In other words, it is a big picture, even from God's standard. So, but here's what we have from the modern Hebrew. And as, as most of you know, in Hebrew we read from the right to the left. Now we are used to left to right. And just to give you a little historical background, that actually came from the Romans. They actually adopted a language called Greek that was an actual language put together in rebellion against the Hebrews. So if God said to read from right to left, they said, no, we're going to read from the left hand to the right hand. That actually is not precedent with God. God is always the right hand first. His references in the word of God is Jesus Christ being at his left hand. No. His right hand. Right hand means dominant. There is a Hebrew word picture I'll give you in a few weeks about what the right hand looks like. In the Hebrew, it is strong, it is powerful, and its grip is the picture that God tries to communicate or does communicate with the term right. So the strongest statement is at the beginning of the, the word picture. And we have hey or behold. It's a, it's like lighting up the sky. It is to reveal. It's like God even closes the, the Bible with what book? Yeah. To hey. To reveal. To shine forth the glory. Remember last week when I said to you that you're supposed to read the Bible for backwards? It's not backwards, it's forwards to God. You're to start with revelation before you can understand the Old Testament. You're to start with revelation before you can understand the New Testament. So therefore, to have the book of Revelation, the most ignored book in the Bible, is the enemy's way of saying, I am eliminating the strong hand of truth. If you don't understand Revelation, folks, I'm telling you, you're going to walk around in fear. Within my prediction is, and it's worth nothing, but I'm going to say it anyway. My prediction is, within 10 to 20 years, you will have secular people depending on the book of Revelation. When I was serving uh, President George W. Bush as, as an advisor, and I was several layers down, I wasn't one of the ones he brought in and you got to sit in the Oval Office and be one of these key advisors. No, I was just quite a few layers down. But here's what I learned in my service. Those five years of being in Washington. That the president, and he also said the presidents before him, always bring in spiritual leaders to share with them their vision or their purpose or what they believe about the book of Revelation. 
Now, Nancy Reagan, as you know, believed in this to the point that she brought in some sorcerers. Ronald Reagan was a born-again Christian, but he wasn't ruling his household. This is in his book, okay? I'm not, I'm not like picking on Ronald Reagan. It was a dominantly led house which put Nancy in the position of being the strong hand. So when he became president, it didn't change. So there is this war that went on in the White House of whose vision, whose reveal are they going to listen to? It's a scary thought to know that there was a period of three and a half years that United States was led by a sorcerer. Nancy went to the sorcerer and got political advice. She gave it to her husband and her husband brought it into the decision makers. That is a born again man who was scared to death to face his fearful wife who is being led by sorcerers. Every, they told me, every single president that they were aware of brought in a Bible, Christian Bible theologian to understand the book of Revelation. They understood what you're looking at. Reveal is critical. Who does the revealing? Mama in the house or Papa in the house? very critical so behold then pay is the mouth reveal speak our next word picture is a snake to surround snake is not always interpreted as a bad Hebrew word picture most of the time yes it is but it's not always it means to surround remember when when uh, Moses had to put the snake on the stick And if they looked up at the snake, they would be healed. It's not always used as a negative symbol to God. So, so it is in the pictorial Hebrew, is that the snake is used as a visual picture of surrounding and getting ready to strike with strength. So you have the snake and then you have the door or forming a pathway. So when you open the door, you're basically saying, there's where the pathway starts, get going. And then you have the hand, and that is to make, it's to work. And then you have Aleph, and we've used the ox quite a bit, which means strong or strength. And then finally you have Resh, which is the head. And in this particular uh, definition, it means the highest. So whenever you find the, the symbol of, of Resh, it is the highest. It is the head of something. The highest in the home, the highest in a tribe, the highest in a nation, the highest in the world. Now to bring you back to Revelation real quick. Satan is working. He is working day in and day out. To be the Resh. That's it. He wants to be the head of the world. And God's going to give it to him for seven years. And through that tribulation, God is going to show who the real patriarch is. So, Satan wants to be classified as a patriarch, but here is the very interesting thing about Satan trying to achieve or accomplish, he will never be a patriarch. He will be a rush. But he'll never be a patriarch. Because patriarch is reserved for a very special category that is only found in the lineage of God. So actually, our enemies who claim to be patriarchs of their tribes are not. They may be heads and chiefs of their people. But patriarch is reserved for a statement from God. It's a very 
separate, special word that comes from the kingdom of God. So we have to reveal the way by speaking strongly because he he's the highest head. So as Q looks around in his world, he's going to end up seeing that his father is at the top of the pile. He's not just Resh, who is head of his home. He's going to find out that he is Patriarch, head of the Eastern tribe. He is the oldest. Is your brother older than you? Yeah. So if we went to the Eastern lineage, we would have to go all the way up to his brother, which would be critical why reconciliation between those two would be critical. But for Q to look up line, he, he would have to stop with his father. And that's how it works. Satan doesn't have a daddy. Do you realize that when he was tossed from heaven, he was removed from the status of being a son of God? The angels are called what again? Covered it last week? Sons of God. So when Job talks about it and he came with the sons of God before, stood before the Father and God says, if you consider my servant Job, the sons of God are referred to as angels by God. The angel thing is what we attached on to him in the New Testament. They were sons of God. They were, they were part of God's initial family. So when Satan was tossed from heaven, he lost that status. He no, has no daddy. And there's actually a word that describes a living being that doesn't have a daddy. And that's what he is. He's fatherless. He's childless. He's friendless. He is alone, wandering, trying to head up something to give him some kind of significance. Well, he's not going to find it. He's going to end up in a very deep, dark, black hole. That's good fire. Heating up that chamber like a chimney. Forever. Why? Because he refused to accept what patriarch meant. So children that rebel against their fathers or the patriarchs of a family and they suffer year after year after year after year after year, I think it's time for them to wake up and see that this torture that they are experiencing in life has a lot to do with their own attitude toward the family patriarch. For sure, the rash, the head of the home. So let's take a look at some of those details. Hero. Now, when you think of a biblical hero, who comes to mind? Seriously. Moses. That'd be one of mine. That's why I stuck his picture up there. I guess that's what he looks like. Samson, David, David, Joshua. Joshua. I definitely think of Joshua. Is Joshua a patriarch or a head of home? Exactly. What is a hero? Seriously. If it's not a guy that's walking around wearing medals because he, you know, killed someone in war, or he made it back, or maybe he didn't make it back, but he killed a bunch of the enemy. What? What is a hero then? Ah, someone who saves someone. Okay? Sacrificial. Sacrificial. Now look back at that little film clip. Toss the soldier thing out for right now. How is that man demonstrating being a hero? Showing him a path of things. You know, how to be. Was he not passing his... And he was passing... Telling this six, seven-year-old boy that if daddy doesn't return, you're it. Now, he didn't dump that heavy responsibility on him by saying, well, son, I might die. I might not come back, so you're going to be head of the home. You'll be the rash. No, he was preparing him. Exactly. First, you could obviously see this man was loving his family. 
And secondly, he was not going to leave without preparation. And he kept his word. Let's look at that. This is hero in the Hebrew. You have Gimel, Yud, Bet, Tav, and Delat. So, Gimel is a camel. Camel, Gimel. In fact, I don't know if I said this before, but I really do need to say it. The, it I don't know the reason for it. I can't tell you that. I can trace the English language back to pictorial Hebrew. Yes, I can do that. Those charts are already done. But I can tell you that the English language is the closest language out of all 320 primary languages in the world. The English language is the closest to the pictorial Hebrew. And I do believe there's a reason for it. But that's not our topic. So camel and gimel. And then yud is the hand. That is that strong. A yud is not just like, well, here's my hand. I'm left-handed. No, it means grip. It means strength. It means control. It means right hand. That's a yud. So when a father is referring to his son as a yud, he's saying, you are sturdy, you are strong, you are a worker. Q, you were describing someone to me this morning who was a yud, a hard-working man. He just won't let up. So the bet is that house which we've talked about many times and also it has the same definition as family. House and family are used simultaneously. Tav is the nail. Tav is also where we, that we find the exact same word picture in the Torah, which is the laws of God. The nail and the Torah and the cross is what makes up Torah. Well, how in the world... Back then, would they know about Jesus dying on the cross and being nailed with... The gospel's always been there. And it is particularly shown to us in the pictorial Hebrew. I believe what Frank Seekins, who is one of the gentlemen who taught me pictorial Hebrew, I believe that they modernized the pictorial Hebrew so you could no longer read the power of the cross in it anymore. Because it was too obvious. So, Tav is nail and Dalet is door or pathway. When we put all of that together, what we have is the one who lets, who lifts up his hand to build a family that has a secure door or pathway. Just like the guy was doing with his son. If he did that on his departure, that was evidence that he does it every day to this little kid. And see, the idea of this man buying a gift for his wife, and of course it wasn't really the coat that she needed, and she was very thankful for, and then the tickets got pulled out of the pocket, which something she always wanted to do. Do you think she wanted to go to Colorado just so she can do a little skiing or to wear her winter jacket? No, she wanted the experience of being with her husband, and they probably had little talks about having a, being in a cabin with a log fire and Women speak of the intimacy of an experience and men tend to think of the experience for intimacy. So you got to put those two together. A hero is someone who makes a family and then provides a pathway for them. It's not someone who's saved someone from the well. It's someone who saves someone from the pit of the enemy. So a Christian hero is someone who is building a family and providing a way of escape and a secure pathway from away from the enemy and to the pathway of Jesus Christ. That's a hero to God. But these guys that are out saving the world and their families are going to hell are not heroes to God. I don't care how many people they saved. God does not, there's nowhere in the Hebrew or the Greek that defines that as a hero to God. God says, this is hero to me. It is someone who establishes, firmly establishes a family. 
and then points the way. Sets the son in front of the door. In that film clip, the father was setting the son in front of that door. And the kid's kind of looking at his dad like, what, what kind of things? And the father in his wisdom says, well, we'll, 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 we'll cross that bridge when it, we get there. It wasn't the knowledge. It was the preparation. So that every time he lifted up this silly little football card, he would remember patriarchy. Not the football player. Or not that my dad liked football, who never came back from the service. Guys use externals for intimacy. Women provide intimacy in the externals. Mama's at the door. Totally being buttered up by intimacy. It's the way we're designed. And you bring that into all aspects of training up the children. But so many women are threatened by talks like that that the women will stop the men from saying certain things because it's instilling fear. And I can guarantee you sorcery will knock at her door. In about five weeks from now we're going to cover a series on witchcraft. But we're not going to use that word. We're going to use a word called rebellion. Numbers 14, 18, if you break it down in the Hebrew, says this. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Divination. So it's not women who suffer with, it's men and women. Anyone who decides to rebel is going to invite sorcery into their lives. Sorcery sounds like a, a scary word from Disney. <laughs> no! It can be scary. Sorcery is simply receiving change from a replica. Do you understand that? Satan knows what I just said. He creates change in... I've seen healings done in the name of Satan. I've seen conversions in the name of Satan. Cults see it every day. People's lives are changed. They quit alcohol, drugs. For God, no. For sorcery, yes. So you see, replicas exist. God knows this. So rebellion can easily be used by the enemy to get the person to receive change from a replica resource. That's all rebellion is. It actually comes from the Hebrew word rebellion. Detachment from a belly. Independence. It's like cutting a postnatal cord. That's all it is. A hero is trying to reattach the bellion. Reattach the child to patriarchy. And by that he has to go through mama. Mama has to be attached to Rush. Rush has to be attached to his patriarch. If his dad is still living, he better have had that talk with his father. That's how it's supposed to work. So the that belly cord is attached all the way through to that young man. Laughing and giggling in bed. I don't know how to make it any more simple. And rebellion is letting the sorcerer come in and just cut the cord. You're on your own, kid. Think it out. Figure it out. It's up to you. You'll get it figured out. Oh yeah, let's see how well that goes. Kids aren't made to figure it out. Adult kids aren't made to figure it out. Have you ever heard the saying that we're as stupid as sheep? It's in the Bible. Like slaughter being led, like sheep being led to a slaughter? We're made simply because we're to be simply led. We, we don't have the ability to figure this out. There's no way I could figure out one single Hebrew word without the Spirit of God. It's impossible. Scriptures cannot be understood without the Spirit of God. 
Do you think Satan knows how to read pictorial Hebrew? No. The answer is no. He doesn't. So, God has made that clear in the Old Testament, New Testament, that it is only the Spirit of God who brings understanding to the Scriptures. And I don't think Satan's got the Spirit of God. (laughs) He is the classic and perfect illustration of stupidity. Knowing the right thing to do, but I just can't do it. All of us suffer with it. But he is the example. Who was your hero when you were 11 years old? You don't have to get real spiritual on me now. I mean, it could be Batman. Who was your hero at 11 years of age? My hero was my dad. So what I would do is I would lie to preserve my image of my father. And in the wartime definitions, my father was a hero. In fact, he was so decorated, and we didn't know it, that at his funeral, when two services showed up and sent representatives there, and all these medals and letters from presidents and blah, 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 I was shocked at how decorated he was. But you see, that was not something he was proud of. A hero knows, after the world calls him a hero, that I wasn't really a hero. You hear it in the movies and you hear it on news. Well, I don't feel like I was a hero. I think anyone would have done that. They're right. Anyone should have done it. Any good friend will lay his life down for another. It doesn't make him a hero. Because God says, what I just showed you is what makes a hero. So I had to go through this reality shock again this week that my father was not a hero. He did not lay down an established route for his family. But he was a wartime hero. And I was able to look through at 11 years of age and, and still see my war hero That's why I wanted his flag that was on his casket in my office to this very day is God is still healing me of the deception of the definition of hero to God. So even this week I was able to say to the Lord, my daddy was not my hero. So that makes me look to who did show me what it means to be a father, a husband, and now a patriarch. Who? Because that is God's definition. He gives mankind a hero. So, some kids today are actually picking heroes that are outside of the home. Then we went through, that was in our, the, the 50s and 60s, 70s maybe. Then we made another shift where the heroes actually became on television. Roy Rogers, Annie Oakley, blah, blah, blah. Then it went from on television to animation. See, Roy Rogers, if I remember correctly, was actually acting out a real character. They may have added a few pieces to juice it up like Hollywood does, but they were... The John Waynes were, we actually had the privilege of knowing the figure that John Wayne was replicating. And um, that was standard of Hollywood during that time. You pick a figure, you dramatize it. Then it went into animation where we have action figures. These are made up fake heroes of animation. And at 11 years of age, you can ask your average child today and they typically will pick a figure of animation. Animation is another word. It's a Greek word for sorcery. It is a graven image you make up to be a rush, a power figure. 
fireballs come out of their hands and they're, you know, whatever. And these little 11-year-old boys, instead of looking to their daddy, and their daddy saying, this was my, this was my hero when I was your age, son. But I am your daddy and how I turned out is the real deal. See how the kid actually picked on him and his uncle? His dad and his uncle? I'm assuming that was who he was referencing, a family member. Real to the children is gone. It's all toys. Well, if you actually take the... And I don't want to get into the... the didactic definitions of divorce, but I will tell you this. It's sick. (laughs) It comes from two words and it's division and force. Division by force. Divorce. And up to 1942, women were not able to divorce men in any country anywhere in the world. America was the first country to introduce women divorcing men. If God never changes his order to match the culture, which is what emergent churches do, that means every divorce filed by a woman is not even justifiable by God's law. Then when you start looking around at the marriages in the world today and remarriages, you have a serious problem on your hands. I had the privilege of working through another counselor with Glenn Campbell. It's a public story, so I'm going to tell the public story. He had nine wives. He had children from most of them. And so it was brought before me, what would you do, Finney, if you were to advise Mr. Campbell on what to do? And he wasn't my direct counselee, but it doesn't make any difference to me. And so I said exactly what he needs to stay with his present wife. And he needs to reconcile with all nine of them. Then he needs to financially care for every single one of them, whether they're married or not. I think they call that alimony and child support. So even the law support the type of talk I use. Then I said, after he reconciles with them and he financially becomes up to date with all these wives, he needs to now impart to them who he is as a father. In other words, he has to build a relationship with all these wandering children. And he did. He was so broken by his lifestyle and got he got saved early on in his life, but he rededicated his life to Christ and he did exactly that. He went and restored as many of those marriages as he could. And he's going to his grave, supposedly believing, I am responsible for nine women. Because when God calls him to the bench, all nine of his wives will stand with him. That's my belief of divorce. What God has joined together, let no man separate. And the Hebrew in that verse is, let no law of man Separate this truth. I don't care how many times you've been married or divorced or remarried and divorced and remarried and divorced. You as a man, when God calls you to the bench, everyone who's in your lineage is going to stand there with you. Guaranteed. There's no scripture that does not say that. That is not going to happen. Actually, anyone who has come from his seed will have to stand there. Then he'll go through each person. But I mean, when he calls each, each patriarch and then head forward, he has to be responsible for how he helped assist in the, the sins of all of his family members. That's why I tell a man in counseling that he's responsible for his wife's sins. And I get guys that fight that all the time. And I say, I'm sorry. You don't, you don't have to pay for her sins. God doesn't blame you for her sins, but you are responsible for providing a way of escape as Christ does to the church. Can you accept that? Well, that's why they divorce. They don't want any of the responsibility anymore. They don't realize that on Judgment Day, whether their sins are atoned for or not, they're still called forward. And so is your family. 
Do you realize what's going to happen when Abraham's called forward? I mean, it's like stars in the sky. There's so many of us. A lot. And Abraham knows it. <laughs> he doesn't, he's not up there fighting this truth. He's embraced the responsibility of a patriarch. And there are thousands, if not millions, of Rashes, fathers underneath him, who did not accept their responsibilities. But they will. And they'll get the cost for it. And if they weren't saved, they'll pay it. If you don't let Jesus pay for your sins, someone has to. And it's the patriarchs. It's the Rashes that are going to have to pay for those sins if they're not saved. Well, the simplicity of toys is that a toy is to prepare a child for adulthood. Pots and pans, adulthood. Cars, adulthood. Tractor, adulthood. Toys are simply tools of transfer to a higher level of responsibility. When you put something that is a graven image in the hands of the child and it doesn't prepare them for adulthood, Satan uses that as an opportunity to bring in sorcery. It has nothing to do with responsibility as an adult. That's what toys are for. It's to prepare the child for concepts that are a little difficult to understand. That they can they can understand this. <coughs> That they can figure out. Because daddy drives a, a truck. Hopefully. This is the verse that Q read earlier, but I want to point out a couple things here. Is that the mandate that God is giving David here is he's actually laying the foundation. He's doing what this young man was doing in the film clip. This hasn't happened yet. David's not a patriarch. He is laying the foundation. He's saying, David, I'm going to make you a patriarch. But you know, you've got to understand the responsibility of being a patriarch. Right now, you follow your own sheep. Do you know that shepherds follow sheep's Sheep? They do. You think that it's the shepherd leading the sheep? He will move and direct the sheep to a different field when the time is necessary. But overall, a shepherd just follows sheep. Oh, they're going over here. There's grass here. Doesn't matter. Oh, they're over here now. And that works. It's a very passive style of leadership, which Jesus himself did. His first round. Oh, not the second round. If a man stays in the role of Jesus as a shepherd, alone, he's a bad leader. Someone is going to rise up out of those sheep and act like a goat and decide, I am in charge. Shepherding is like half of the cross. But see, when Jesus comes in his second coming, he is dressed in full color, fire in his eyes, drawn sword. You're going to see a full-on patriarch here. All the glory of the patriarch is going to be handed to Jesus Christ. You think he has it right now? No, by inheritance he does. But on the second coming, God, the patriarch, clothes his son. As the patriarch, all of what I am is now on you. And he comes back to get his bride. And he is full on shepherd and full on patriarch. You must keep patriarch separate from Resh, head of home. They are not the same. I've heard a young man for the past few months say, I am my own patriarch of my own home. And I go, no, you're not. Your two fathers are alive. 
It is a common belief that young men think that their own, they're their own boss. They are not. So now, God's coming. He's saying to David, I'm going to keep you from following your own sheep. You are led by their own impulses of where the next green field is. So there's a shift taking place between David being a quality shepherd, and he was a good one, to being a patriarch, which is what is described in this passage. So very quickly, I'm going to, I'm going to walk you through this, these several verses, and then next week we'll come back and really piece it down. Verse 8, we have this. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took, from, I took you from the pasture, following the sheep, to be a ruler over my people Israel. So up here we have servant, which actually means bondage, a bondman, or set aside for service. Servant, and slave usually uh, pops up in the minds of believers as a negative term. Now, if you really want to use a true word picture of servant, it's taking a hot iron and branding a human with the initials of Abba Father. It's called anointing by oil. Baptism of fire in the New Testament. It is, it is the Father saying, you are anointed, you are commissioned, you are now a bond slave. There's nothing you can do about it. The oil's on the side of your cheek. He took him out, which means to buy, to carry. It's not just grabbing him and walking out of the field. God's saying, I, I paid the price for you. If, if you think David just walked out of the field and into the care of the loving Abba Father to do the service of the patriarch without a price tag, you have not read your Bible. There were battles going on right at this moment when this was occurring. His brothers were fighting battles. His father has been fighting battles. His, his, his patriarchs from the past have fought battles to come to this point for David. There have been thousands of deaths for this moment. Just so God can come and say, David, I took you out of being a shepherd boy into my charge with a price. And if you take a look at all of your ancestors, your patriarchs behind you, you're going to see that they all died for you this day. It's a serious deal. I just think of my grandfather who was a preacher. I don't even know who was before him. I'm sure there was a handful of them. They all paid a price so that Stephen could preach a certain way today. That's how it works. So that hopefully my grandchildren and so forth and so on will carry it forward. Following is strongly separating. So the, the, the following that he was doing with, with the people... He was making a pathway for the sheep to make sure that they lie down between that still waters and they get fed and all, all the stuff a shepherd's supposed to be doing. The father and this boy and his wife, he, he was obviously caring for them. But he was about to demonstrate a new side, probably not a new side, but a side to him that even his boy could not understand. Even his wife, no matter how much reading she's done on being a warrior, there's no way she's going to understand what he, his need to step out from shepherding to being this warrior. Acting upon what hero he already is. The sheep, which is also interpreted in the Hebrew as a flock of men. So following men to following God. That's the change that is occurring. Following men to following God. A patriarch should only listen to God. If men have something to share with him, it is 
either to validate what God is saying to the patriarch or to guide him and direct him to what the, patri- what the, what the patriarch is hearing from God. The ruler, which means to uh, be the commanding aspect, the oversight, the ruling that has to occur through the patriarch, over, which is to know, control, or have authority. We use English words like they are the word of God. They're not. But it's all we can do. And that's why translators really have a lot of flexibility on what they can do with Hebrew and Greek. They can come up with words that's kind of close to that. You take this one, for example, you read over in a passage and you go, okay, yes, rule over. When actually what it means is that he has control, he has right hand, he has yud. So God is saying to David, you're just not going to be feeding and directing a pathway for these sheep. You're going to be yud. You're going to have authority over the tribe of Shem. Who was Shem? He's the one and only lineage. Whenever the Hebrew talks about Israel, he's talking about Shem. Whenever God talks about a good name, the actual word name in Hebrew means Shem. There's only one name. There's only one tribe. You're either grafted in or you're not. That's something we'll learn in the end times. So, summary of that is David was God's bond slave set aside for a divine purpose. Saying, I bought you and carried you away from following men to be a patriarch and controller of my people so that I can rule over what belongs to me. So, when we hopefully, after... Today, when we view hero, hopefully we can look at our fathers and say, you know, my father really was a hero. He really did establish a biblical foundation. But if you can't, like I couldn't, wrestle with it, crucify it, be done with it, put it away, and say, okay, God, show me what You are as the patriarch. Jesus, show me who you are as the great Resh, the great head of our relationship. And then show me as a body member or a wife to you, Jesus, what it really means to respond to you as my hero. And if you look at life from that perspective you won't have this emergent view of Jesus being, I am a Christ follower. I had an intense discussion this week with um, a writer. I have a writer out there that actually takes my writings and he rewrites them and he submits them to the Washington Post and to Newsweek. And it's under a ghost name. So we are able to take some of my writings and get them out there in a very secular, liberal publication and challenge readers to start thinking about uh, original meanings of cultures and so forth and so on. It's a little thing that God dropped in my lap and I decided through the counsel of my, my elders that it's a good opportunity to take advantage of, so we're doing it. Well, our big discussion, because we oftentimes have to discuss some of the stuff that we're going to work on, but the big discussion this week, of course, was patriarchy and what that really means. And he said this to me. It's very interesting that God is moving you to do this series on patriarchy when the U.S. government is actually facing the greatest religious crisis they have ever faced in the history of of the United States. Who 
do you think they're referencing? Who is it? The Jews? It's the Muslims. They use this terminology in full-on strength. And there is a major thing that the government is trying to figure out. They think that there is a branch of peace-loving Muslims and a branch of radicals. So what I challenged him with is, what is the cord that binds the two together? And, you know, belief of Allah. You know, this guy's a pretty educated guy. I said, no. The Quran. I said, yeah, you're, you're getting very close because you're actually talking about the documents of, he said, Muhammad. And I said, who is? And, of course, he thought he was the patriarch, right? No, he was the Rush. Allah is the patriarch. And he says, there is no other God before me. There's no other patriarch before me. Muhammad was the Rush. The Quran is the documents that support this belief. And the U.S. government and others are just now figuring out this is an immovable belief. And if you challenge it, death. The Quran will get activated with both sides. That's what our country is facing today. As well as some other countries, as you know. If you don't believe me, read, listen to the news tonight. They're realizing this is an absolute immovable force. So as we move forward, guys, from today, please remember that God is saying this is the immovable patriarchy. God. This is the immovable Resh, Jesus Christ. And there will be a replica that will use sorcery to lead and cause rebellion in the people so that they will not view the system that God has placed within his creation and they will default to a replica. There was a writer that uh, I was given a quote from and I won't mention the person's name because it will reveal a source. But there's a writer that uh, said that um, the Muslim people um, have a very strategic plan in America and that this immovable belief that they have has got a time, a, a clock, a time mechanism attached to this belief and it's already set, it's already triggered and if Americans do not kowtow and say Allah is the only God the bomb's going to go off now when I first read that I thought that is now that is radical to me but then as I, I started thinking that through I thought no it's really not because that's exactly what God said all this is on a timeline and something's going to go off from God I hope not in our generations here but something's going to go off. So, in conclusion, God has a timeline and the enemy does not. What the enemy tries to do is in God's timeline. And God is even regulating the rebellions that are on this timeline. And he can't throw a switch until God says, it's in my timeline. So guys, don't go away today with fear. Go away today with peace and security that God's perfect timing is, is perfect. There's nothing we can do to stretch it, change it, revise it, cult, anti-cultural it, rewrite it so it fits our culture. It is what it is. And the more you and I go back to authentic 
writings, thinking, discoveries, doctrines, the clearer truth is going to be for us. I did get this statistic this week. Division by force is happening more and more every day. And the enemy is doing exactly that. He's working on these relationships that God calls until death do you part, turns them into temporary, which causes all this division by force. And the children are wandering and lost. They have no clue who to look up to. Their daddies are off with whoever. And their mommies have whoever in the home. That's our world of tomorrow. So we got to bring stability. And that is done through solid doctrinal teachings. Thank you for joining us today. Heartland Family Fellowship is a local church plant here in Sterling, Kansas. Our fellowship includes the family and all levels of worship. Our mission is to bring families back together spiritually, relationally, and physically. Many people ask us, what does that really mean, or how does it benefit them? Well, it means that you can bring your entire family to any of Heartland's events. And we will work to keep the focus on God, Jesus Christ, and the body of Christ without dividing up the family at the front door. If you're interested in learning more about our fellowship or other family-integrated fellowships, please log on to our website. That is www.heartlandfellowships.org.